Hey guys, real quick break. Wanted to tell you about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place. The cool thing is it's actually for free, which you can use right from your phone, your computer. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll also distribute your podcast for you so you can be heard everywhere from Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Easily make money from your podcast. No minimum listenership. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. Thank you again, Trevor, for taking time out of your day, man. I really appreciate this. You bet. No problem. My, my pleasure, Eric. You've been named the sports world's best brain trainer by Sports Illustrated with some of the world's most elite performers from Major League Baseball, the NFL, the UFC. Such a great accomplishment. And just looking over your website, you know, would love to go back a little bit. Your dad, Bob, was a world-renowned peak performance you know, educator, contributor to Chicken Soup for the Soul, you know, uh, president of National Association of Self-Esteem. What things did he teach you as a kid that kind of pushed you to be in the career path that you're on right now? Well, you know, Eric, that's a great question. Um, and it's um, it, 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 it's fascinating because my sort of introduction to UFC was probably a couple of years ago before um, WM, WME ended up purchasing them. You know, I worked for IMG for many years and I was the director of performance at our sports academy in Bradenton. Gotcha. And uh, Bradenton, uh, the IMG Academy is kind of like Hogwarts for athletes, okay. um, <laughs> sort of 600 acres and, and sort of a very unique environment. But I get asked that question a lot. You know, um, the, the, the peak performance industry, the business psychology, the you know, it, it's, it remains a small industry. I would say it's probably matured. It's most in the business world where you where you have, you know, uh, brand names like Tony Robbins and. And then obviously you have these thought leaders now like a Grant Cardone or Gary Vaynerchuk. And then you have, um, you know, obviously staples like Norman Vincent Peale, uh, Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, Mac, you know, but in sports, we don't have that, you yeah. know? Um, so there is not an industry for sports psychology in sports. And I think because, you know, a lot of that is because there's an infinite supply of talent that developing talent's really not the responsibility of an organization. And that sounds crazy, but I think you would understand that. But I think what I learned from my father, I'm, I'm often asked, you know, would he be proud of you? And, and uh, you know, he passed away 12 years ago. Yeah. And I think what he'd be most proud of is, uh, you know, whether I was a fireman, teacher, athlete, MMA fighter, uh, doctor, uh, janitor, probably what matters most is, is that when life challenged me, I could, I could live the things that he taught. Yeah. And, and that's probably the most important thing to him. The last couple of years, I've had some really amazing things, but I've also probably uh, in the last two years, you know, even today, you know, been challenged more where life says, what do you got, bro? And, um, and I think I've been uniquely equipped to handle it. I think a lot of time when I was growing up, I felt like Dan, Daniel LaRusso, where I'm like, why am I painting the fence (laughs) and why am I waxing the car? And then when these moments sort of happen, you're like, you know, wow, uh, you know, I can block and I can, I can, you know, do all these different things. So, yeah. um, but, but, but look I, the exposure at four years old, I started with uh, targeted affirmations. They played, you know, Norman Vincent Peale and Brian Tracy and Earl Nightingale uh, wow. by my bedside. Every night I went to bed, they played cybernetic waves that had subliminal messaging, you know, as I went to bed and, and all of my affirmations were neutral, you know, I was, was never raised in this, uh, the, the positive environment, but it, everything was sort of a, a, a behavior. Uh, you know, I take setbacks as temporary. I bounce back quickly. I have an elite 
neat work ethic, you know, like just things that were in my control. They, they really weren't aspirational, but they were things that could be done. And so, you know, I was sort of raised with an interesting marketing campaign. And, and then, you know, we weren't allowed to watch the news in my house or listen to country music. My dad really believed in the minimization of negativity. So it was a, it was kind of a fascinating way to grow up. And, you know, I, I'd never really interned with my dad or did anything. I mean, I was a big fan of him and I went to a lot of his events, but, you know, uh, I graduated from Occidental College, went to grad school, tried my hand at pro soccer and then found myself teaching in LA Unified School District and coaching. Okay. And, um, you know, from there sort of navigated from education into, you know, getting a uh, starting working at IMG Academy in Bradenton. And instead of teaching social sciences, I was teaching sports psychology to kind of a wide range of some of the best athletes in the world to, you know, a spoiled high school kid from Venezuela, sure. you know, that parents just wanted him out of the house. So I really didn't, I learned, didn't differentiate one versus the other. The, the kid from Venezuela was going to get my best. And if it was, you know, uh, Tony Romo or Byron Lefkowitz or, you know, or at Alabama, you know, getting to meet guys like Deontay Wilder and other different types of, I mean, you know, what, what whoever you were coming across or interacting, you, you were going to bring your best. And if I had to pick up Cam Newton at the airport and take him to Walmart and that was where our meeting was going to happen, that was where it happened. And, wow. and I learned how to function in a really non-traditional way. And, um, you know, sometimes people would come meet in an office, but normally it was uh, meet them where they are and, and then develop an educational platform that was going to be easy to understand. And we realized early on, Eric, you know, that, that the positive thinking was a concept that was really hard for people to grasp yeah. meditation and mindfulness were processes that were really difficult so we started focusing on more controllable things like language and we knew we struggled to prove the power of positivity but we could prove the impact of negativity is not being a good thing and particularly as you start to verbalize negativity it's it's 10 times more powerful than when you think about it and if it's negative it's a multiple of four to seven times on top of that wow. so what we started to realize was you know verbalizing negativity is almost 40 to 70 times more powerful than just not saying anything at all and we just kind of built a platform first off not saying stupid shit out loud yeah. and then without teaching any alternative and where i think people get really frustrated is if okay you're trying to teach a young eric anders while he's an Alabama football player, be positive, be positive, go there and meditate. I mean, you know, that's that's hard. But if you say, look, let, let's just not talk about the heat. Let's not talk about your frustration with the coach. Let's not talk about the situation where we're at in the third third quarter against Auburn. And then we, we develop this middle ground called neutral. Let's focus on on the behavior not the emotion. And right. I think there's probably a handful of us that have found a way to build some relevance in UFC and in football and baseball and basketball, you know, but I don't know, Eric, that I'd go back and tell my 25 year old self to get into this industry because there's <laughs> not a lot of, not a lot of opportunity, but uh, I am grateful to be on your show today. And, and just to give people a little bit uh, of insight into neutral thinking and maybe learning how to minimize the negative more than this pressure to be positive. Right. Yeah. One of the things you mentioned on your website there too, is there's a big confusion between sports psychology and mental conditioning or, or mindset. For those who don't understand, what's the difference between those two? Well, I think the difference is sort of the, just like the variation that I think we see in physical training, right? right. You know, like I'm not going to an Olympic lifting coach to get faster, you know, so Olympic lifts are, are, bigger, faster, stronger, grip it, rip it. Uh, but a, a speed coach might be more of a functional trainer. It might focus more on dorsiflexion, dynamic movement, things along those lines. Uh, and then, you know, someone who, who's going to focus on the 100, 200, 400 is going to be different than someone's going to focus on the 800, 1600 or 5,000 meters. Right. And I think 
really the, the, the architecture in psychology has the same variants, even though the consumer is really confused. So you have, you know, clinical mental health counseling, clinical psychology, you know, for medical related issues. And then you have sort of um, kind of sports psychology, sports psychiatry, which is assessment, you know, like I'm, I'm assessing people and I'm giving organizations or sports teams profiles based upon what you may or may not do based upon how you answer a set of uh, open-ended or fixed questions. And then you have sort of this mindset area, which is about, you know, how you think, how you talk, your language. And it's it's probably less about problem-based and really more, you know, how do you make great people greater, good people better. And so I've worked in multidisciplinary environments where I've worked with all sorts of different specialists in the same way a speed coach might be with an Olympic lifting coach who might be with a functional trainer you know, uh, that way. Uh, yeah. unfortunately I think the consumer is so confused. We think of sports psychology as okay. There's this left-handed pitcher that's throwing it 80 rows up, you know, go see that guy or that right. lady. And at the places I've been, you know, fortunately the opportunity to work for coach Saban at Alabama, coach Fisher at Florida state, and now coach smart at Georgia, you know, my responsibility has always been developing an educational platform for all of our players and our coaches that's you know based on on simplicity that can make everybody better even though they might have more specialized issues that they may need to deal with um that they would go see somebody else for and so and then and then really over the years truthfully i mean i've been as much of an advisor because i was a director of performance i kind of know how that all the elements fit in and as well as, uh, you know, helping our coaches prepare for their pregame speeches, their press conferences, what movies we're going to watch before a game, what music we're going to listen to kind of a jack of all trades, Eric. And, yeah. and what was, you know, of the 132 division one college programs, though, you, you still only have five programs actively doing these types of things. So it's not an industry that that's going to grow. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I mean, having worked with all of these, professional sports players what makes the difference between a good athlete and a great athlete well you know i think that's an interesting question because i mean i think you know some of athleticism is you know obviously a set of gifts so yeah i mean i think a a, a good athlete or a great athlete you know athletically a lot of it's going to be genetic and then it's going to be connected to how they train i think if the question is a good performer versus a great performer Right. You know, I would say that sort of lives in the aggregate of marginal gains. And when when we aggregate marginal gains, like how do you make micro percentage improvements across multiple levels? So your fatigue science, how are we maximizing sleep? You know, I think fueling is a big issue now. What do I eat? When do I eat? And 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 what's the dose of the type of food I'm eating? Is it micro meals? Is it things along those lines? And then I think <clears throat> physiologically recovery versus training versus all the different elements. And then I think psychologically, what's, you know, how is my language and then my ability to to see things in advance of it and, and the ability to image and to visualize how is the minimization of negativity, the application of neutral. But I think when you look across all these disciplines, which you might find in any kinesiology textbook, like, do I have a plan? How am I dealing with altitude? How am I dealing with environment? And, and how am I aggregating these marginal gains? So let's say I'm a really good MMA fighter and I'm, let's say I'm a 91%. So I am an A, but I'm a low A. How do I go from 91 to 96? You know, and and that, so that's the way I look at it. And so good to great, you know, so what might be the difference between Russell Wilson and Kirk Cousins, you know, it'll be in the marginal areas. 
it, it'll yeah. be in in sleep it'll be in recovery it'll be in film study it'll be in, it'll be the, they'll both do the same things really really well mm-hmm. and you know um the physiological i mean aptitude does matter i would never say it doesn't i think yeah. the mind is probably five to ten percent truthfully eric so gotcha. you know your physiology does matter but it's it's not the deciding factor i think gotcha. there's a lot of athletes that are similar you know i mean there's cam newton and there's LeBron James, I mean, they look like GoBots or Transformers. You have John Jones and, you know, or, or, or uh, you know, obviously you have just like George Foreman, you know, in boxing or even Deontay Wilder or, or you know, whatever. I mean, even I've, I just think in traditional boxing, like Pacquiao, I mean, yeah, like, because we spent a lot of time around uh, his trainer, Russell, you know, like, how, how do you explain, you know, him? You know, right. so, I mean, I know there's weight classes and all the elements, but I mean, some guys, you know, it's a good athlete, obviously, but there's resilience, there's toughness, there's, you know, these other factors that make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you've got a book coming out in February called It Takes What It Takes. There's a foreword by Russell Wilson. I live in Coeur d'Alene. There's a lot of Seahawks fans out here. What's your book about? I'm excited for this to come out. Yeah, you know, a few years ago, Maria Shriver, you know, President Kennedy's niece, uh, had reached, kind of reached out to me and really challenged me. She said, you know, I think you got a voice that is bigger than 150 athletes. You know, I think you need to speak to 150 million people. Yeah. Like at that point I was like, man, I, you know, I don't know. And I never, I didn't have social media. I didn't, you know, cause in the sports world, I never really needed any of that stuff. And I'd never really been consumer facing. So, but that really kind of opened my eyes and I started thinking about it and I started looking at the industry and then Russell and I started talking and Russell's brother, Harrison, and this is part of DJ kind of started talking. And, and, and so I began this mission to sort of minimize what I was doing in sports and to go broader into the educational sector and into the business world to affect more people. Russell Wilson and I partner in a company, you know, based out of Seattle called Limitless Minds. Yeah. And they really tried to create scale digitally and then, and then the book. I ended up uh, getting a deal through HarperCollins, and, and really it, it's sort of kind of a 12-chapter exploration into a lot of unique lessons I've learned uh, in and around the world of, of IMG, college football, pro football, uh, special operations community, uh, my own life, and really how we adapted the content to develop this idea around non-negativity and, and, and neutrality and behavior-based thinking versus the traditional elements of positive versus negative and mindfulness and meditation. And it really goes through the origins of that. I think it's a really simple book. It's probably size 50 font and uh, (laughs) built, built for anybody, even those boys from Covington. Sure. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so, so it's exciting. It comes out February 4th. Uh, Russ wrote a great forward. I wrote it with Andy Staples. Uh, Andy Staples was Sports Illustrated's top college football writer. And now he writes for the athletic. I think for those who follow personal development and, sort of that industry and it'll come in the business world. It, it's it's, it's going to be a lot different than a traditional book, but it's built in sports. You know, as much as I've spent time at Goldman Sachs and bigger companies, the truth is, is, you know, I come from the athletic world. I embrace that. I think sports is an EBITDA based business as much as Johnson and Johnson is or anything else. And the best players are promoted. And if you can't sustain the standard, you're gone. Right. And so yeah. I think it, I think it's going to have a lot of relevance in a lot of different places. Awesome. So I wanted to ask you one last question. I've spoken to over a hundred MMA fighters. They're all in the up and coming fighters. Usually most of them are amateurs. And I know that the mental game is just as important as it is the physical game in fighting, but uh, what kind of tips can you give these up and coming fighters to work on, to make sure that they're successful 
either just mentally or physically in their game? You know, I, I think in the time I've been able to just just in a little bit in UFC, spend time around Forrest and, and like Matt Hughes. And, and you know, it was interesting before uh, we played Notre Dame, we, we watched the Frank Trigg, Matt Hughes fight. Yeah. Um, and, and really, you know, that situation where, I mean, Hughes was pretty much choked out and just didn't go down. You know, right. and that and our guys really resonated that in that Notre Dame game. I, I think so many people, uh, Eric, kind of say, you know, these are all the things you have to do. I think probably one of the biggest challenges I would say to up and coming or, or uh, MMA fighters is what are five things right now you could not do that would take you to another level? Yeah. Five things you could could not say, could not eat, could not watch, could not consume. Where are you bringing negativity into your life? That's completely within your control. How is your language? If your language was a marketing campaign, what are you what are you selling yourself on? Yeah. Um, but I, I think so many of us get this pressure to do certain things when I think the reality and the separating factor, what makes Russell Wilson better than maybe the next athlete is what he's willing not to do and what right. he's willing not to eat and what he's willing not to drink. And I think so many guys are right on that edge. And if they if they just didn't do a few things, which we can always not do things, that might be that marginal gain that takes them to the next level. And I, I believe that success is doing simple better, that most successful athletes are driven through their simplicity and your talent takes over in the complicated. Yeah. You know, and look with the the ESPN deals and the other things, I mean, the industry of MMA and UFC, I mean, they're 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 mainstream, you know, I've phenomenal, the tough world, they're tough industry. Like football, they're based on physiology and your body makes your money. Yeah. You know, how are you taking care of your body? You don't need, you know, to make $36 million a year before Russell was making any money, you know, as a late round draft pick. Um, you know, he was finding ways to go to massage envy and, and instead of one massage, get three massages. Right. And, you know, ice baths and doing all the different types of things. Am I doing simple better? Right. And I think that's the question. And then. What could I not do right now that could instantly help me? Because more, most likely somebody who has what I don't have is willing to do something I'm not doing or willing right. to not do something that maybe I'm not willing to not do right now. Yeah. So that's, I think, the challenge. And I love what you're doing. And uh, I love the information and education because education, when you apply it, uh, is a force multiplier in your life. Absolutely. Trevor, it's been an honor to talk to you, man. I appreciate you jumping on the call while you're in the car. And uh, man, I'm excited. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate that. Perfect. Well, you know what? Get to the Coeur d'Alene uh, Resort and Hotel this weekend. That's one of my favorite spots. Uh, yeah. I love the 208 area code. I'm a big uh, Sun Valley and, and even people don't know Schweitzer. Yeah. Uh, big fan of both of them. So keep up what you're doing. And I'm sending my best to all of uh, the up and coming uh, stars in MMA. I know you got thousands of them subscribing to you. So I look forward to uh, anything I can do. You can follow me at Trevor Moad, T-R-E-V-O-R-M-O-A-W-A-D. And then uh, it takes what it takes uh, on HarperCollins. You can pre-order right now. Um, I know you already pre-ordered 10 copies, so I appreciate it. So <laughs> you've, you've brought us up to 15 total. Sweet. So uh, anyways, man, uh, I'm excited. So thanks again for your hey guys, time. Thank you so much for hanging around. Really appreciate it. If you'd like to see more videos from Top Rating MMA and the Bearded Biz Show, please click the playlist and also hit subscribe to our channel. Become part of the Top Rating MMA and Bearded Biz community. We would really appreciate your support. Also, please leave a comment below. I will read and respond to all of them. Thank you so much. Have an awesome day.